Hey, what's up? This is Devin Steele. Is this, this mic on? Oh, yes, mic is on. I've been in here all day. Uh, <laughs> I'm hanging out with Ina Esco on the Verbally Effective podcast, so make sure that you check it out right here. Verbally Effective with Ina Esco. What's up, everybody? This is your girl, Kirsten Cheers, the multi-hyphenate social media strategist, Memphis native, South Memphian, and I am with your girl, Ina Esco, on the Verbally Effective podcast. Jared J.B. Boyd is a multimedia journalist, hip-hop artist, humorist, and on-air personality dedicated to telling stories that intersect the identity of people in the Southern United States, members of the hip-hop culture gaze, and the elusive millennial cool. Currently writing for the Daily Memphian and appearing on NPR's syndicated radio program, Bill Street Caravan, in his hometown of Memphis, Tennessee, Boyd covers topics that both enlighten and unify the Mid-South. Some of his previous works can be found on AL.com. It's a Southern thing. In the Daily Mississippian, Jackson Free Press, and the Commercial Appeal. Even with a sharp focus in the sector of urban arts and entertainment, Boyd has covered a vast amount of topics outside of his typical sphere. He found a niche in Alabama as a statewide food writer, tasting and reviewing restaurants as a part of food competition, Alabama's Best. In association with the Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Boyd was invited to moderate an interview with civil rights leader James Meredith for an exhibit in the museum. In June 2018, he appeared in season three of CNN's United Shades of America with W. Kamal Bell. Additionally, Boyd is no stranger to turning daily deadlines as a breaking news content producer. You can find him online, in print, on camera, on stage, and probably on Twitter. Before we jump into the pod, I have some important information to share with you all. I am doing giveaways. That's right. Free giveaways to the Memphis Chicken and Beer Festival with iHeartRadio. I definitely want you to tune in to everything that Jared J.B. Boyd is discussing on episode 78 of the Verbally Effective podcast as I will be dropping off giveaways on the Verbally Effective Instagram page and also on the Verbally Effective podcast Facebook page. So make sure you follow Verbally Effective on Instagram and also like the Verbally Effective podcast on Facebook. That's right. I'm dropping off free passes to the Memphis Chicken and Beer Festival that will be Saturday, August 3rd from 6 to 10 at the Liberty Bowl Memorial Field. At this time, take a listen to what the T-Shirt Lab has going. Whether it's screen printing, embroidery, or promotional product, the T-Shirt Lab consistently produces quality products with a fast turnaround. Design it, print it, and wear it. Contact the T-Shirt Lab today at theTshirtLab.com. Email info at T-H-E-T-E-E shirtlab.com or call 901-207-3043. Or you can even stop by the T-Shirt Lab today at 986 East Brooks Road, Memphis 103817. The T-Shirt Lab. Design it, print it, and wear it. Verbally effective. Your double E, Ina Esco, in the building. Today, I have with me multimedia journalist, hip-hop artist, on-air personality. I feel like he is really like a Memphis encyclopedia, <laughs> Mr. Jared J.B. Boy. What's up, Jared? Ina, thank you so much for having me in the building. This is this is special to me. This means a lot. Really? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I... I you know, I wanted to sort of see, you know, what you were going to throw at me. So I got caught up on a few of the podcasts that I hadn't caught up yet. And I was just riding around earlier listening to Devin mm-hmm. and listening to Doc and listening to Janine. And I just I just found myself, I kept smiling just because, for one, I mean, I, I see them here and there. I'm, I don't I don't know all of them extremely well, but 
I look at them from afar as as a person who's in media in Memphis. Mm-hmm. I look up to them, and so many of so many, all of them I've seen growing up, you know, mm-hmm. and just hearing them for real. You got them talking in that in that real that gutter, <laughs> that real. It ain't that TV voice. It ain't the radio voice. It's the real. It's the it's the Memphis, and it's it's. I felt like wow. I, I must have really done something right to be able to come back into the city and be invited up here. You know, I've Definitely. Only, only been back for a little while, and I feel very blessed to be here. Awesome. Well, Jared, we're going to start from the beginning. And are you originally from Memphis? I'm from, from Memphis, from Parkway Village. Parkway uh, Village. Short, Just a short stone's throw away from here. I uh, grew up right there. Uh Right, right off Winchester. I'm gonna say that. That's all I'm gonna say. Right off Winchester. I grew up okay. right off Winchester, and uh, you know, looking out the window here, I see this is this is the Memphis that I learned to love. Uh, you know, going to Greater Middle Baptist in the summer, mm-hmm. and uh, Greater Community Temple in the summer, and World Overcomers hooping and swimming and doing all that stuff. You I know, like this good is, stuff. Yeah, this is this is it. Wow. Yeah. So, where did you attend high school? I went to White Station. So okay. uh, although I grew up on this side of town, I always went to school further sort of out in, in East Memphis. So uh, mm-hmm. I went to Richland Elementary and White Station Middle and White Station High. Okay. Yeah. And, what, and what were you into? Were you a writer back then even? <laughs> I think that I enjoyed English class from an oh, early yeah? age, or at least I, I think some started to click probably right at 12th grade. I had a, an English teacher who, who really made me feel special when I wrote. And mm-hmm. uh, so I, 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 writing isn't really the way that I found my entrance into into media. It was actually um, I went to Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church growing up, mm-hmm. and I would my mother had me filming the church services. Okay. Uh, with the media ministry there, she because I, I sort of flamed out at the choir. And you flamed out. Yeah, I kept I kept falling asleep at the uh, at the rehearsal. Oh wow! <laughs> so they said I need to find me a new ministry. So I told them, I didn't tell my mama why I didn't want to go to the choir no more. But she uh, she found me another ministry, and uh, that uh, that got me sort of started <laughs> with with media and broadcast. And so I, I I ran with it once I went to school, once wow. I college. Yeah. Where did you go to college? The University of Mississippi. Some may call it Ole Miss. Some might call it what? some other things that I don't want to, you know. But yeah, you went, went to Ole Miss. Absolutely. Absolutely. How Class was that experience? You know, a lot of people ask a lot about that. Whether or not you know I experienced racism and things like that. Uh, I think it's it's no more uncomfortable racially as any other place that I've been in. Uh, you know, there there was there's implicit things that you notice if you know what to look for, but there was never any like overt like in your face. I'm you know I don't like you. Mm-hmm. It was just you know I tell people all the time it was really more people who probably hadn't grown up with black people around mm-hmm. and didn't know how to relate to black people and so they overcompensated. It was like too much. Like what you need? You need some drugs? You need some girls? You need some coke? Like, <laughs> It's like, I'm cool. I'm just I'm here good. like you here. I'm chilling. You know, <laughs> we good. You know, I don't need anything. I'll take a drink, but I don't need anything else mm-hmm. after that. You know what I mean? Wow. I'm going to watch the drink. I'm going to look at the drink real close, make sure you don't drop mm, nothing in there. You got Yeah. But aside from that, you know, it was a good experience. And, uh, you know, wasn't too far away from home, right yeah. off of Lamar. Just, you know, if you know how to get that way, take Lamar until yeah. till it's Holly Springs. <laughs> <laughs> For real. And, and then keep going, yeah. Wow, what was your major at Ole Miss? Broadcast, actually. Okay. Broadcast. I um, 
I had some rough those first couple of years as far as uh, as grades went, and my my original major was marketing communications, and then I decided, man, I'm not gonna pass these uh, business calculus classes, so I just went with straight up communications <laughs> and uh, <laughs> dropped the marketing. So uh, once I ended up doing that, I uh, I spent some time trying to trying to bring my GPA back up, and then I spent those last two years at Ole Miss just grinding. So mm-hmm. I was uh, I had a column in the paper. Okay. I had two mixed shows on radio. Wow. And I did television news reporting as well because in that part of Mississippi, there really aren't, they, they mostly get, you know, our media market in Memphis. Mm-hmm. You know, it's only 70 miles away. So a lot of it is either, you know, you get the Tupelo station or you get the Memphis station or to, to get television news. So the student news, the student television news actually had a, quite a bit of pool and the radio as well. I, I, I uh, I actually broke a record. I broke one record while I was there. Uh, no flex zone. I was the first DJ in the in in the world to play it on radio. So really, yeah, because I mean they from they from Tupelo. You broke no flex zone. Yeah, I didn't know who it was or what it was. I couldn't pronounce Ray Shrimmer. And honestly, you know, uh, Mike Will hadn't had a hit in a little minute. So I'm like, there's some dudes from Tupelo signed to Mike Will. That's over with. You know, I thought you know. Lex was the big producer last year. Mm-hmm. DJ, uh, I mean, uh, Mike Will was the was the next producer after that. Mm-hmm. And now we got mustard. We on to something new. We got mustard now. And it's like, nah, you need to listen to this. Some boys <laughs> from Tupelo was like, my homies just dropped this song. And if you can't play it. And I was like, I got on the air. I was like, you know, it's your boy DJ Bizzle, voice of Ole Miss. I got this joint right here. Hey. I don't know what it is. I don't quite know what it is. If you like it, man, call and let me know you like it, man. If it's not <laughs> hot, man, we not going to play it no more. Just let me know, man. And then I dropped it and I brought it back. I was like, hold on, I like this right here. You know what I mean? So uh, once Ray Sherman came back to town, it was their like, homecoming show in, in Mississippi. Uh, we ch- we chopped it up and I told him, hey, man, I, I played your record. The first time. He's like, it was you. That was you that dropped the record for the first time. I'm like, yeah, that's me. So, you know, they showed DJ me. Bizzle. <laughs> the voice of Ole Miss. I- Oh, let me make sure I say yeah. DJ Bizzle, the voice of Old Miss. Yeah, 92.1 FM. Wow. Was that a hip hop format? Urban AC? Urban? Nah, it was it was I mean it was college radio, so you had some sports talk, you know, the SEC town, you had a lot of different Small things. It's pretty much whatever whatever the students wanted to bring to it. And there so because there wasn't, like I said, the closest media market really was here, you know, they were listening to uh K ninety seven or High One O seven or they were listening to me out there oh, wow. so uh you know i was really the only one that uh was catering to that that little market there and uh mm-hmm. there weren't any other hip-hop mix shows on on that station and, and the thing that made me want to do it really was you know it's you know, everyone thinks oh miss is a party school and my freshman year they had party buses that would pick you up from the dorms and take you to the square so that you wouldn't drink and drive or whatever and you know that was really the only place that i heard the student radio station on those mm-hmm. party buses and i was like Whoever playing that kind of got got a cooler groove. It was all it was all automated. So I was mm-hmm. like, I went in the interview. I was like, I want to be the person that everybody turned up to when they going on the student on the on those buses. And mm-hmm. they were like, okay, you got the job. And then they were like, they gave me two shows. So earlier in the week, I sort of did more house and dance hall and uh, you know neo soul and tried to you know expose some different things, you know conscious hip hop and different things like that. And that was like a Tuesday mix. Then Thursday we was turned up. Mm-hmm. You know. Wow. So you got your party in when you did, though, right? You got your little party going, then. I know DJ Bizzle, the voice of mm-hmm. oh, Miss, got your party going on. I, I'm not going to say I'm all party out. I really want to get back into into DJing for real, for real. I, really? I kind of need, all, all my gear just went to hell as soon as I graduated. It was crazy. Like, 
my laptop stopped working. My little uh, hard drive stopped working. My controller stopped working. So, you know, hopefully, I know you, you got a lot of people in the business that listen to this mm-hmm. wonderful podcast. You know, if y'all want to donate some gear to your boy, I promise I won't let you down. You know, I'm going I'm I'm to do something nice for the city. You know, it's going to be beautiful and upscale and gorgeous. You know what I'm saying? It's enough club DJs out there. Yeah. I kind of want to want to bring, you know, a different vibe to the city, you know, but I got to get my gear up, so, you know. Okay, we're going to get your gear right, yeah, JB, for I, real. I, I need that. That would be such a blessing, <laughs> such a blessing. You have so many options now as far as, you know, technical-wise um, equipment is concerned now. So here's my, my crossroads because I collect vinyl, and I love mm. vinyl, and, I you know, and I look at guys like Devin, and, you know, even, like I mean, I study the game and the pillars of hip-hop, and, you know, I see see guys like Grandmaster Flash say, uh, you know, visually people respect so much more. You know, they respect you so much more when they see you working with wax. And I'm like, wow, at least I can try Serato disc. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, so but I know that's, it's expensive to break in that way, but I don't want to not honor the gods. Yeah. Know, the greats. And you collect vinyl. What are some of your, like, top treasures you got over there in the vault? Hmm. <laughs> well, I just got two copies of uh, Indo G and Lil Blunt, mm. um, the antidote mm-hmm. on on loop. Where did you find it? I can't. I can't give away my sources. <laughs> I can't get give away my sources. But I also have. Uh, I have. Uh, I have M Team on 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 LP, which is another early uh, Memphis rap group for people who don't mm-hmm. know or don't remember that Boo Mitchell used to rap. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's Boo, Boo Mitchell. Boo and Archie. Yeah, and it was recorded at Royal and Willie uh Willie Willie oversaw the project and executive produced the project. What? Yeah. Was, was he flowing? <laughs> <laughs> He's supposed to be a future guest on the pod too. Oh, yeah. I, oh, I gotta break that on here. Drop that on I have it on CD and I have it on vinyl. Um and so yeah, I just you know, I try to Memphis music is what started me on uh, uh, collecting vinyl. Uh, my cousin Andrew Love of the Memphis Horns. He passed away when I was a freshman in in uh, college, and I didn't get to come home to the funeral. And I just felt like weird about that. And it was there was a uh, record store in Oxford, and I just started going. Actually, spent the night uh, at the guy who owns the record store. I spent the night at his crib last night because I went to Oxford for a meeting, but. Uh, I sort of just went there and I kept buying everything that had anything to do with Memphis because I because I wanted everything that he played on. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, I had so many records and mm-hmm. went home and grabbed all my parents' records and then called aunties, oh, and uncles, y'all, y'all need y'all records, ones. I need them records, you know. And they like, yeah, why do you want this? You know, people right. want this. Before you know it, I had excuse me, three thousand records wow. at the crib now, which is not a lot when you think of people like, you know, they have storage units full of them, DJs mm-hmm. trying to get rid of stuff for twelve inches that, you know, the labels are sending them back in the day. But I'm the type of crazy person that hoards all this stuff that people don't want. <laughs> and uh I'm excited about it. I had a I had a get together uh on the third, the night before the fourth uh mm-hmm. of, of July for whenever people might hear this, you know, it might be out of context, but um I, you know, people were at the crib and we were having a good time. But I have so many records, and I, I, you know, was trying to not be standing over my turntable all night. So mm-hmm. I was playing rec, I was playing music off my computer, and you know, last hour I pulled out like Kevin Campbell, "Can We Talk?" twelve inch and things like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you know, SWV, uh, uh, love right here, right here. Mm-hmm. And they had like a 
had a rap verse from Pharrell on one of the remixes, like the whole, because you know he does the S double. Yeah. But he had, there's a full rap verse that's on one of the remixes. And so, like, people started Instagram and all this. And the next day, people <laughs> hit me up, like, why didn't you invite me to your vinyl party? I'm like, it wasn't a vinyl party. It's just like the mm-hmm. old lady living in the shoe. She had so many kids, she didn't know what to do. <laughs> I had so many records at the crib. It was only a matter of time. That last 30 minutes, you know, I played those records, but people, people got it misconstrued because they saw people posting. That was that was the most exciting part of the party for a lot of people that hadn't been around, been exposed to wax like that. Like I said, yeah. I'm 26, you know. A lot of my peers just don't know about it. Well, know? you know what that means? You got to have another one. On yeah, the, on a larger scale. Own, oh, that's gonna happen too. We, we <laughs> we're thinking about doing some some citywide like bring a record type situation, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. It should be fun. So, JB, what did you do after you graduated? Immediately, uh, hmm. I came to Memphis to intern for the Commercial Appeal. Oh, that's uh, a good gig after graduation. Yeah, it paid well for sure, and I just was so honestly humbled to be writing for the paper that was on my parents doorstep every day mm-hmm. and that meant a lot to me like I, I really walked out the door every day and, and reminded myself like this is what this is what you work for this is what you you know this is this is meaningful and people want to see young black men and women in those spaces or at least mm-hmm. people should but I know a lot of people in my community do and uh, because they feel like we will tell their stories responsibly. I didn't take that lightly. I felt like Superman. Every time I would wake up and I would see the paper sitting on the doorstep and I'd be like, man, I work there, man. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> and then I would go to work and then I would do what I do and then I would, you know, see people in the community and it'd be like uh, such a, re- it'd be refreshing that, you know, being that I grew up in Parkway Village and then, I, you know, I went to a large black church and then, I, you know, I went to these summer camps and I did these programs. I did, I, I worked for Bridge Builders in college and did all these different things that put me in contact with all these different people. But I also went to a school that was very diverse on the other side of town, other side of East Memphis at least. So I would see, you know, people from church that are politicians and be like, hey, how you doing? I'm Jared Boyd. You may not know me, but I grew up seeing you in church. I work for the Commercial Appeal now. I'd like to ask you this and this and this. And they'd be like, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Or I see, you know, a white man, I remember a story I did, you know, a veteran, and, and it was about veterans' rights. And I said, tell me your last name again. He was like, Burkholz. I was like, you know Jeffrey Burkholz? That's my grandson. Oh, mm. I went to school with your grandson. <laughs> and he'd be like, oh, really? You know, yeah, I want to ask you this, this, and this. You know what I mean? So I, mm-hmm. I felt like, wow, I'm home. Like, a lot of reporters don't get to do that, get That's to, true. you know, build these connections in that way, to be familiar with the, not only, I mean, it's one thing to get the streets down and know where you're going and navigate. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot, of, a lot of people are working in places where, like, I can't even figure out how to get to where I'm trying to go to ask the questions, but I also, like, have these different connections. And so, yeah, um, they didn't keep me on full-time after, after the internship was over with, and I was really upset to sad about that and I was going back and forth between Memphis and Oxford you know I spent two weeks with my mom and them and, and my father as well and you know uh, would go to Oxford and sleep on the couch for a little while and mm-hmm. I just made this doing this rotation and my mom was like okay you need to figure <laughs> out what you're gonna do next and uh, I started just uh, just applying just throwing stuff out there mm-hmm. I didn't know what I wanted to do necessarily so I was like applying to the Associated Press and Trying to get on at like Sony Records. Let me let me you know try to be A and R or something. You know, I was just mm-hmm. trying to do a lot of different things. I have a lot of different interests, and uh, I it got to the point where football season was rolling around, and that first football game. So this is almost this is fall now, mm-hmm. and uh, I ran into uh, 
one of the former newspaper editors from the student newspaper at Ole Miss. He was back in town. He had a job in Birmingham. And he was like, what you doing now? And I'm like, nothing, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. He was like, man, I think we could use you in Alabama. And wow. so uh, he reached out to, to his job, and they had an opening in Mobile. So uh, I had some other things that I was looking at, but I ultimately took the job in Mobile. It felt like the most steady uh, work, and I went down there, and I was a public safety reporter. Mm-hmm. chasing ambulances and police mm-hmm. cars and on murder scenes and doing all that wow. type of stuff. And that was different. Yeah, it wasn't what I wanted to do as a journalist, but I, I wanted definitely wanted my foot in the door. And so I did I did that there for a year and they made a way for me to become an entertainment reporter. So oh, I, that was a big transition. Yeah, and the company that I was in uh, had the Mobile paper it was all. It was based online, but the content was coming from Mobile, Huntsville, and Birmingham. So they were using the existing paper structures that were in those three cities to sort of be able to cover the entire state. So, mm-hmm. You know, so I was going up and down the state covering music, and and then they sort of started to push me into doing food as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I I, I, wow. I gained some I gained some pounds. <laughs> In in the midst of that, doing uh, what they call Alabama's Best. So I was doing Alabama's Best Oyster Bar, Alabama's Best Meeting Three, Alabama's Best Steakhouse. And then mm. Steakhouse, I was like, man, listen. <laughs> I just went to the doctor. They said I'm pre-hereditary hypertension. I got Zay. too much going on. I'm, you know what I'm saying? And people people start, around Alabama started to see me and be like, nah, man, you know, your job sounds really hard, you know. Um, uh, you, you're, yeah, you, all you do is eat, and it's like, bro, <laughs> I wake up, you know, in a in a strange hotel, and then I gotta pack my stuff up. And we, me and my coworker, we get in the car, and then we driving, and then whether or not it's raining or shining, you know, what I'm saying we have to be somewhere on an itinerary, mm-hmm. and we have to eat and take pictures of it and remember to write about it and remember yeah, this and, and check into another hotel and do that and then like okay once you check into another hotel we already ate a steak lunch mm-hmm. now we gotta do a steak dinner and it's like wow. you're on the road for two weeks and, all, and it, so it was it was a lot it sounded like a lot it was a lot did you like develop a palette for different types of foods to really become an expert with, with the food no I, I honestly I wasn't even shooting for that because I felt like <laughs> my audience you know what I, something I said earlier like everybody gotta eat you know mm-hmm. what I mean just like everybody gonna listen to some music everybody gonna watch a movie here and there you might not be passionate about those things but food you know everybody knows what it's like when it's, when it's time to set the table you sit down and you eat and that's an intimate experience that you might have with your mother your father your cousins whoever you know and you might not remember the food but you remember you know those experiences and you know I'm, I don't have to be an expert to know what I like. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to be an expert to be able to explain to somebody what I like. While, mm-hmm. you know, you, I'm sure you have your favorite spots in, in the city to eat or mm-hmm. you might have your favorite spots in another city to eat or here and there. So I thought, you know, I can make this colloquial mm-hmm. and I can make this real for people. You know what I mean? And so I don't have to be pretentious and, and, and be all the way up here with my explanation. It's like, nah, that's a good steak, bro. You know what I mean? <laughs> and people feel that. And, yeah. you know, I'm going to meet you where you are. And, you know, I like Crystal. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like, you know, uh, Cozy Corner. You know what mm, I mean? It don't have don't to be. Don't say that right now. <laughs> it oh. don't have to. I like Piccadilly, too. That's what I just ate for. I, I like over Piccadilly, here. too. What did you get at Piccadilly? I was hoping you would ask that. 
Because <laughs> I really, I'm serious about my fish and spaghetti. And I oh, just yeah. figured out, you know what I'm saying, if you get the spaghetti, you can still get you the slice of fish. Ain't gonna be but three dollars. Just three dollars. You know what I'm saying? So you know, I can get the I can get the spaghetti as an entree. Get my two sides. And be like, man, just go It'd ahead and give me a slice of fish to a slice. The people are like, JB, why you say a slice of fish? Cause man, a slice of fish. It's a slice of fish, man. That's what I said. It's a slice of fish, man. That's what I got. What I had fish and spaghetti. And it's a big deal because whenever I tweet about fish and spaghetti, people from other cities start debating. I noticed, and I and I hate it and love it, but it's a hive. I'm the fish and spaghetti hive. They be debating you on Twitter. They like to argue with me sometimes. I, I see. Don't know what's up with these I see. But do you love it? No, love is a strong word. <laughs> I feel like I don't necessarily need the contention, but you know, I, I'm a rep for my city, mm-hmm. number one. And if you don't understand fish and spaghetti. <laughs> and you probably ain't from around here, number one. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that. See, I'm from Memphis. I didn't know that you weren't, that that wasn't something that everybody did until I went to college. And we would think about, we'd be like, yeah, let's have a fish fry. I said, okay, I'll make the spaghetti. And everybody in the room said, what? That's true. I didn't peep that till I moved to uh, to Memphis from Texas. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't normal. But, you know, some <laughs> But other, it was a good compliment, right. though. Some other cities do it, too, you know, um, I know that I know that uh, St. Louis is big on fish mm-hmm. and spaghetti too. And then you know, I wrote about it when I was still in Alabama before I moved back. Like you know, why it's a thing. I wrote sort of like a I wrote kind of like a column, like a memoir about like these are my feelings and basically you know <laughs> explain like I didn't know until I was in that room and people were confused that I like fish and my spaghetti. Yeah. So I sort of looked around the internet to see you know other people talking about it and this debate was already going on on Twitter, and so. Somebody who owned a, an Italian restaurant in in Alabama reached out, and they were like, "Hey, in Italy they eat fish and spaghetti." Wow! So you know, maybe you that's got where it originated. Straight from the source, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you can't argue oh, with it, right. Italy. Not, not Italy. They on the water in the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. They got they started spaghetti. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna argue with them. Wow! So how long were you in Alabama uh, with the entertainment role? So my role shifted a bit. Uh, so I did the entertainment for about a year, and then I had to, we got shorthanded. The dude who they had to replace me went on to another opportunity. He never really got settled in, in Mobile. He was a little older. He had a wife and a child, and the, the wife didn't really adjust, and the child didn't really adjust. So he went on to another role. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, I had all these plans, things I was going to do. You know what I'm saying? You I know. And I I went and reached out to one of the editors. I said, yeah, you know, I'm going to uh, set this up for uh, such and such. And he was like, yeah, about that. I need you to go back and chase them uh, police officers, no. bruh. So I had to go ahead and do that for a little while. And I kind of, you know, I got so burnt out because mm-hmm. it just wasn't me. And uh, there was another part of the company that was starting basically what I would compare to like a Southern BuzzFeed. So mm. comedic sketches and, you know, also just like shareable social content about different things going on through the South, whether it be funny, whether it be. So I think I saw you actually respond to the thing, the the, uh, the list of, uh, you know, you Southern if you've eaten yeah. all this. That was my job. OK. I basically started that thing mm. that put that out. Uh, I was I wrote all of the content for that company. It's a Southern thing. We, I didn't, I didn't conceptualize it, but you know, when they launched that website, I wrote like eighty percent 
um, wow. the the written words on that, and it, that that made me feel so uh, to see that how viral that that thing went. You know, you know, you suddenly mm-hmm. if you ate these many different things, I was like, wow. If I still was in Alabama, I, that would have I would have made that, and you know. That font and the border and all of that, mm-hmm. I, I still probably have files on on my computer where I can get in there and make me one today if mm-hmm. I wanted to. You know, I'm gonna I'm stay out of their business, but I still do some. <laughs> I still do some business with them. I still do some voiceover work with them and things do like you? that. So yeah, that's that's that was my job. That that was where yeah. I worked. So I did that for six months, and then I started getting these phone calls uh, from. Uh, little something called the Daily Memphian. It didn't exist yet. It didn't even have a name yet. What uh, year was that? See, I might get in trouble if I tell how early I knew about it, but, you know, I'm going to say this. Uh, <laughs> when I, I was, this was May 2018, I was on the beach in uh, Gulf Shores because it was uh, Hangout Festival. That was something I did every year. I covered Hangout Festival for three years when I was in Alabama, and so... Uh, I was at the beach and the company, it's a Southern thing was rolling. They had decided they wanted me to move to Birmingham. And I knew at that time that this thing was going to happen in Memphis and it was still under wraps. And I didn't know whether I was going to be involved, but I knew it was going to happen. And so I made my call to the people who gave me a heads up that it was going to happen. And I said, should I wait to see if this Daily Memphian thing is going to happen? It didn't have a name yet still at the time, but should I wait to see if this is going to happen or should I take this opportunity in Birmingham? And they were like, you know what? I can't tell you the timetable on when this might happen, and I can't tell you if you're going to get the call. All I know is that I've, that your name has come up several times, and mm-hmm. I gave me information. And I was like, man, I just want to be home. You know, I just mm-hmm. want to be home. And so that was May. They launched second week of September maybe because nine on one day was right before then. And in the meantime, in between time, I gave an honest shot at trying to go to Birmingham, but I didn't get any money from the company to help me get over there. I didn't get any days off to go and check. I was doing like video conferences with like a, 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 a an agent, like a leasing agent to show me apartments in the area and mm. stuff like that. And I couldn't really get a grasp of what they really like. You know, I, I needed all these things. I needed a washer and dryer and all that. And I, I would come through Birmingham on business. Anyway, I was familiar with Birmingham. I would see Birmingham, but in the meantime, in between time, I really just took it upon myself since since I wasn't chasing police cars and ambulances no more, and there really wasn't no need for me to be in Mobile because my content was throughout the entire South. Most of what I was doing was phone calls and emails and Facebook and this and that. I said, I could do this from anywhere. Mobile, yeah. So I didn't say nothing. I just, <laughs> Dip. I just got on that road. Dip to Memphis. I was in Memphis. Sometimes I'd be in Nashville. Sometimes I'd be in Durham. Sometimes I'd be in Jackson, Mississippi. Sometimes I'd be in Oxford. You know what I mean? Still doing your work. And I said, you know what? This could help me in a couple ways. If my job is to if my job is to creatively explore what it means to be Southern and touch the entire South, I need to really be in front of some of these communities and talk to people and figure out what's going on that's really specific to their community. Mm-hmm. But also, I need to get in front of some people and see if there's somewhere I can, you know what I'm saying, get closer to Memphis, get in mm-hmm. Memphis, get, you know, if it's, if it's Nashville, then cool. If it's Atlanta, then cool. But I just need something different because Mobile just wasn't cutting it for me no more. And mm-hmm. I didn't really think that Birmingham, Birmingham would have been nice. But that close to Memphis, I would just try to get back home some kind of way or I would be here every weekend or whatever mm-hmm. and be, you know, perpetrating. Because when I first came to Mobile, I was in New Orleans all the time. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I just mm-hmm. gravitate to 
that environment, you yeah. know what I'm saying? I, I know get, what I like saying. to get bucked, right? You, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm from Parkway Village, you know what I mean? It's, they just don't make them like me down in Mobile. You know I know what they I mean? don't. I don't, have, I don't mean no harm. How would you describe Mobile, Alabama? I've been through there a few times and Birmingham, but not to stay long. But It's a nice place. It's a nice place. It's just I don't think that the energy there is... I don't think there's forward momentum for young black professionals. I don't think so either. And, you know, I, I I was a chameleon. You know, I was, you know, I had a lot of people that wanted to put their arm around me and, you know, buddy, buddy, and take me fishing, take me out, you know what I'm saying, to the beach and do this and do that. I got a lot of great experiences. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are doing interesting things. I had movie producers that took me on set. You know, you know, we they from Mobile, but we be out in Atlanta shooting a movie, you know, with Gerard Butler and Fifty Cent, things like that. If you know mm. if you know a movie for Gerard Butler and Fifty mm. Cent and then you know what what set I was on, but stuff like that. Alabama opened those doors for me. So there was stuff out there. But it just was like, you know, for me, I just didn't feel like I I met a lot of people that understood just how real it is out here and how I grew up. You know, it's funny, there was one guy whose daughter went to college with me. And I didn't know all through college she was from Mobile because I didn't really know nothing about Mobile. All I knew about Mobile was Rich Boy and Last Mr. Big, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Big passed right before I moved out there, although I got cool with his family. Uh, and I did get really close to Rich Boy while I was out there. But uh, that's neither here nor there. But this young lady, a young young white lady that went to school with me, her parents were from out there. And so I was out drinking, eating one time, and, uh, you know, one of my close friends was close with them. He said, yeah, you might know this, this family, you know, uh, their daughter went to Ole Miss. I said, oh, what's your daughter's name? And they told me the daughter. And I said, oh, yeah, we went to, took English class together. She's cool. They're like, oh, yeah, where are you from? I was like, from Memphis. They're like, okay, what part? I told him, you know, Parkway Village. And the dad was like, I do business out in Parkway Village. He's like, how you how you make it from out there over here? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, you don't carry yourself like, you know, we, we try to do stuff with kids in the community at Wooddale and here and there, and it's like, yeah, that's where I'm from. That's what I come from. And I'm blessed to have seen things that I've seen. And I'm blessed that my mom, you know, put me in school on transfer and all that, you know, because I got to see a lot of different parts of Memphis and use that to my, use that, I don't say to my advantage, but it became a part of me and, and being able to, to float in different mm-hmm. social situations. So, yeah, mobility, you know, it's cool, but I feel like, it's it's a small part of my biography, you know. What yeah. I mean? This is this is <clears throat> this is where the work gonna get done, right here. Yeah. Mil Memphis. And I needed that experience to be the JB that I am. First of all, I, I was I ended up dead broke. I remember I had an infinity. I went out there in an infinity, and I was struggling to make them payments, mm-hmm. and that junk got smashed up. How I get smashed up, JB? Man, I was sitting at the red light. <laughs> <laughs> sitting at the red light on uh on on dolphin in florida that ain't gonna mean nothing to you but that's where i was and a lady came hit me in 88 cadillac mm. i think she just left the casino or something drinking Uh-oh. i i rolled she hit me i'm talking about sitting park i'm at the red light i rolled into a silverado in front of me so it's balled up on both ends but mm. you know what i feel like man I wasn't making them payments like I needed to be making them payments for one. I mean, I was up to date on them, mm-hmm. but I was calling my mom and pops all the time, asking for a little money with rent, a little money here. I'm struggling to do all this, and I'm out all the time because I'm trying to make friends. So it wasn't like I wasn't, you know, drinking and eating and out, but, you know, I was trying to do all, do, just doing too much. Doing too much. And so it was like, 
the next day I went to go get a rental car and I had twenty nine dollars in the bank. Mm. And I said, Man, I gotta do better. You know, I was twenty two. So from that point I just said, you know, save my money and make better decisions. I ain't have no furniture. You know, I was I'm trying to date women and stuff like that. I can't bring it to my place. You know, I ain't got no, I got a air mattress. You know what I mean? Messing up your social life right yeah, now. Yeah, so I'm like, you know, JB, grow up, man. You know what I'm saying? You didn't need the infinity. You 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 could pick the girl up. You ain't got no one to take her. You know what I'm saying? If it's going to go down. You know what I mean? Yeah. You flexing. So, you know, bring it, bring it back in. And, and figure it out. So, you know, I I did a lot of growing up in Mobile. I say all that mm-hmm. to say, you know, all of those things happen so I can really start flexing on when I get back to the city, ah, man. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that, JB. <laughs> hey, let's get it. So you got back to the city. You got that daily Memphian job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it finally came through between me doing a bunch of hiding out here. And, you know, it's like, Folk was like, man, JB, you at every function, man. Do you stay in Alabama or what? I would go back to Alabama. People would be <laughs> like, hey, uh, can we get a meeting with you about this? And I said, yeah, but not today, uh, tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? I'm, and I just, <laughs> and I'd be at the house like, all right, man, I got to go. So where are you going? Alabama. <laughs> I put, put everything back in the car. Oh, wow. I drive five hours. I stay out there for like a week and a half, two weeks. And be like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm tired of this. I'm going back out on this road. Mm-hmm. So, um, I did that long enough to where my bosses in Alabama were like, "Hey man, people keep asking me, do you stay at, do you stay in Memphis?" And you know what I'm saying. So it's like something got to give, and I finally actually took, uh, you know, from connections that I had made from coming back and forth so much, uh, I was able to get plugged in with the NPR radio show that I'm on as well. Mm-hmm. So I took both of those jobs, I accepted both of those jobs at the same time, part time and full time. So I'm a full time writer, do the part time radio gig. And uh, I said, man, I'm coming home. And I said, other people work two jobs, you know what I'm saying? And, mm-hmm. and why not have two two media jobs? And why not, you know, keep why building? Why not? You know, and, and just and grow and yeah. grow, stretch myself. Wow. So you were away from Memphis for how many years? So I started I started in, in uh, Mobile, November 2015, and I accepted okay. my jobs in Memphis. On in November two thousand eighteen, okay, and I moved. I found my place on Chris on the Friday before Christmas, and I moved in at nine p.m. on, on New <laughs> you Year's. You remember that? Yeah, on, I moved moved in <laughs> back in the city. I moved all my stuff in because I went through a lot to get all my autumn records back to Memphis. Oh yeah, you had to. I haul moved it. in at New Year on New Year's Eve nine p.m. and uh, and told folk, "Hey man, y'all can help me move my stuff into this apartment." Mm-hmm. We can go and we gonna party. So we did that. We were stupid tired uh, on South. Main. I bet you will. <laughs> back in the M. Back in the M. So when you got back to Memphis, I know things probably were a little different, somewhat. Being away for but about three years. Yeah, a little, a little more than three. Yeah. But now mm-hmm. you're in your multimedia journalist role, right? Well, you know, when you say different, you know, I, I keep it one hundred, like. Uh, I worked for a month at the Memphian and uh, went to work one day, and uh, I was super excited because the the commercial was coming out that day, uh, the the Daily Memphian commercial that I was in, and uh, got a call from my mom's and my pops had collapsed. You know what I'm saying? I had only been working for like a month, mm. and so uh, my pops was in the ER, 
and he was in ICU for three weeks, two, three weeks, and then he passed. Oh, so, mom, yeah, sorry. That happened a month or so into me being home. What? So that was that was definitely a big shakeup, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, that was, mm. that's, I mean, just, just, I mean, keep 100, like that, that definitely, the momentum that I had for being excited to be home, I had a lot of stuff I was doing, a lot of projects that I wanted to do, and a lot of people I was connecting with, and got my own place now, and this and that, and all of that was cool, but then, you know, real life stuff happened, and I mm-hmm. had to, you know, step up for my, for my moms, and so, yeah, that's a that's a part of the story. So, yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm. Okay. So, let me ask you this, JB. Yeah. Because you are a millennial, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. Being a millennial, can you define what is a millennial? Because I think a lot of people think they know mm. or have, you know, misconceptions about, you know, the whole millennial culture. Can you describe it for me? You know... It's it's one of those what they call buzzwords right now. Like it's mm-hmm. something that you hear so much of. It's almost like swag was a few years ago. Uh, you know, hot boy is right now, hot girl, <laughs> and all of that city boy and all that stuff right now. Um, and millennial, of course, is is not as I guess for some people as trivial as those may seem. But um, I don't know. You know, it's yeah. like I mean, I do, I do know, I do know, but I'm, but I feel like I don't even want to give it too much credence. I feel like people really they rag on millennials so much, and they talk. I even heard in, in your interview with Devin. I mean, he mentioned like you know people want to text and DM and do all that, but they don't have he the follow through. And you know, we get that rap, but you know, we do a lot of things that other generations couldn't as well. And you know, uh, to be honest with you, you know, you, I don't, I don't, want, I don't ask a woman her age, you know. But you might you might be on on in the millennial group too. I'm not you not you X you Generation X. Yes. Okay. For well, sure. you ain't you ain't too far away from no. being a millennial. So you know a lot of people probably who talk about millennials are, are right on the cusp of it or right in it. You know what I mean? Uh, you know because you know I I date some women that might think they they not millennials but they do be millennials. They are you know, millennials. They, right they don't on, even know they are right millennials. <laughs> Right there on the edge, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions about millennials? Because when you write mm-hmm. as a journalist, you are coming from that perspective. I am, and I'm fine with that. And I, and I, you know, I'm not gonna necessarily say I rip it because, you know, I just feel like that's not even a large part of my identity. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I do. A lot of people do tell me I got an old soul. I collect records and I got an eight track player. I, can, I believe it. I, watch I, I feel that energy and, from you. Yeah, you know, I think you know, just but our, our friendship. You know, what I'm saying I don't think you know I'm not like no little boy to you. You know what no, I mean? No, you know? definitely so, not. Uh, you know, I feel like that part of my identity isn't necessarily something that is 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 huge. So when you when you use a term like millennial culture, I guess I use it too. I put I think it's probably even on my resume that I yeah. Black millennial culture or hip hop culture. I think that I just I think because people think of others in those terms so much, I want to be a person who can uh, speak the language that the baby boomers might understand when they read it. That's the that's who's reading the news, really. You know what I mean? I'm not being consumed by a bunch of my peers, but I am being consumed by people who probably want to understand why certain like why people my age want to come back to Memphis if they've already left. What is it? True. What is that case? Because, you know, if somebody is a executive at service master and they're in their 50s or 60s or 70s even, they might want to understand how to get young people attracted to their business and their their work life culture and all of that. So 
Especially when there's so much press about, you know, people moving out of the city of Memphis to go to these bigger cities that are more attractive. Yeah. So, you know, for people who care about investing in Memphis, I can be sort of a conduit to, for one, I'm going to keep it real with you because these are streets that I come from. So I'm going to be able to tell you about street stuff. I'm going to be able to tell you about hip-hop stuff. I'm going to be able to tell you about a little country music here and there, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? I'm, but, but, you know, I think there's a language that, you know, people are like, okay, how can we get young people motivated and excited about this, this, and this? And that's what millennial culture, what where I think I'm able to step in, although mm-hmm. I don't I don't like to play that up a lot. I see you don't like to play it up. <laughs> no, nah, I've been listening to that Isley Brothers and the Gap Band and all them. You know, I ain't too much into uh, whatever <sighs> folks. I ain't into that Bryson Taylor music. You're not. I like a good Bryson Tiller. No, no, give you some OJs and some. It ain't for me. Take you back. There it is. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about, you know, the art scene in Memphis. Um, I mean, it's just really exploded, like mm-hmm. the black art culture here. Um, there are so many different events. I know you know about, you know, the ins and outs of all of these um, showcases. I just saw you at Black Art-ish, yeah. uh, Kelvin Woods event. Yeah. How do you think that the black art scene has developed in Memphis? What is that looking like to you right now? Uh, there's so many different sectors involved in pushing our narrative forward. And one of the first, the first story I did when I came home uh, was at the complex in Orange Mound, 2234 Lamar Avenue. I feel like I, I have some days where I feel like man, I should get that tatted on my arm because it's like that <laughs> that location I think will forever. I don't remember addresses, but I mean, I heard people that work there to be like, let me look up and see. I can't, I can't remember the address off the top of my head, but I remember it. Like I feel like I've grown so much in that space. And even if that place doesn't remain there for a long time, I feel like that's going to always be a part of me. 2234 Lamar Avenue. Mm. Uh Right in Orange Mound, where my parents are from, both of my parents grew up in, on Douglas. Uh, there is the I think that the, the real nucleus of their energy right now is the collective, mm-hmm. and uh, the complex is their brick and mortar space. And so, like I was gonna say, the the first story that I wrote in January when I moved back, uh, they were about to send me to cover a funeral, and I was like, man. And then I got out of that, and then I covered this thing they called a great day in the mound, which was supposed to be like a recreation of a great day in Harlem. This picture that had all the Harlem Renaissance, well, many, uh, probably a couple dozen Harlem Renaissance, uh, jazz musicians on a brownstone, uh, outside of the brownstone, just, you know, chilling on, on a great day. you know, it was like, everybody happened to be there. And I think, you know, you might remember double XL did their mm-hmm. version of it. Even, uh, the boy, the boy Tila was in that joint, mm. uh, from repping, repping black Have, But, uh, they wanted to do their own their 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 version. It was sort of like a kicking off point of we about to open this art space in Orange Mound, and it's real. This is one of the oldest Black American uh, neighborhoods, and we gonna own it and claim it as a space where we gonna we gonna just explode Black creation out. And then you know they did that photograph, and that was my first story. And I wanted to tell just I just really wanted to tell the story of this moment that I felt like you know, would have had writers and, you know, directors, people who did videography and poet, poets and mm. uh, singers and DJs and visual artists. All of us came and took these pictures in the spot, in the mound, you know, a place in, you know, people feel like, uh, you know, oh, I won't go down there. 
you know, I've invited people to, to art shows at the complex. And they're like, oh, uh, <laughs> it's like, so I just sometimes just tell people, just 2234 Lamar. You know, they might, yeah. they might not be able to pitch it off the top of the head. Yeah. Now, some folk be like, you talking about the tie shop? It's like, <laughs> yes, man, just meet me there. Trust me, man. So, Come uh, through. Yeah, but um, that's sort of, I think, the nucleus of what's going on right now. And I don't mean to leave nobody out, but there's that's sort of where it starts. And I was blessed to uh, MC the opening there that next. They said they did the picture one week, and the next week they did the opening. I MC'd it. So I feel like I was a part of just this, this watershed moment. And hopefully, you know, people writing books about the things that people that are in and around that space are doing, but there's so many other things going on and there's so many people that haven't even found their voice yet or found their paintbrush yet or found their microphone yet. And that's coming, but the complex and the collective is the hub and then you have uh, Unapologetic crew mm-hmm. with uh, I Make Mad Beats and Cameron Bethany and uh, CJ, who's been my producer. C, Ma- C Major, a lot of people know him. He's been my producer since mm-hmm. uh, I was in ninth grade. We went, we played on the drum line at White Station together. So. He and I have had, we've actually done many projects together that, you know, all through high school when I was just a little high school MC, he did all the beats for us. So, you know, it's amazing to see him do what he does with Unapologetic. And, you know, there's more people and they have a lot of stuff going on from, you know, visuals and uh, music and, you know, programming events. And then you have people like, uh, you got like Artistic Lounge, which has been around for a Mm -hmm. long time, but SO and Siphone are, you know, in that vibe. And then you got... My little Tuesday crew, which you know we get together, uh, we call it Tuesday. You know how Tuesday. we how we say how we say down south Tuesday. here in the hood. Tuesday, it ain't Tuesday. <laughs> What's your Tuesday crew? I can't. It can't share a ton about it right now because you know it's, it's 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 basically just a black artist and professionals uh, mixer. Uh, some might call it a drinking club. Some might call it whatever. And we're gonna open it up to the public soon. But for right now, it's just, you know, we meet up every Tuesday at an undisclosed location. But I get an invite soon. You No, I mean, you are welcome to come. For okay. sure. For sure. Uh, you know, one-to-one, I invite people all the time. Just like, hey, just pull through. I want you to see this, what's about to happen. Because we about to open it up and, and make it, you know, we're going to do our, our own thing. Like, we've been doing it at an undisclosed location every Tuesday. <laughs> but... It's going to be one Tuesday out of the month where we're going to be like, all right, you know, can we get such and such a sponsor and get some music and get some bites and, you know, feature a black chef and feature, you know, and have people come and bring your business cards and do all this. Mm-hmm. And so we'll spend the other the other Tuesdays of the month planning the big Tuesday. You I know what I'm saying? You. But, yes, you are absolutely welcome to come. <laughs> that, would, that would make me happy. But, yeah, so I, I put I've been I've been I've been posting it's Tuesday without people knowing what that mean yet. Mm-hmm. But it's, they make it, it's, they curious. They curious to know. Oh, after they hear this pod, they gonna be like, oh, they zooming in on your Tuesday, Tuesday crew. Coming. Tuesday coming. Every Tuesday. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of different energies going on. I didn't, I mean, I didn't even mention all of them, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just shout out uh, one other person that I that I adore who I think everybody should know about is uh, my cousin, D. Monet. D Monet, my soror, is your cousin. It's my cousin. Uh, we went to Lemoyne together too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love her. That's my cousin. It's my first cousin. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, she has an immaculate voice. I mean, effortless. Do you hear me? Oh, you already know that because it's your cousin. She sang at my pop's funeral, and that was like <sighs> crazy. Mm-hmm. She got it. She's gifted. Yeah, and it was like a I think maybe the 
twentieth anniversary of her mom's passing. So mm-hmm. like, you know, she she was singing. Mm-hmm. You know, but you know, just there's so many other energies going on. I mentioned her, you know, just because well, we got a show coming up that we're doing. Yeah, I got a show coming up. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm, yeah. and you are the hip hop artist at this show, right? No, 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 I'm not performing. I'm not performing. <clears throat> I'm not. Performing. I'm, I'm not I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I haven't jumped back out in the city yet. Spitting. Uh, just, just some sort of retooling and figuring out, you know, what's appropriate to say on wax for one. And also, I just got so much other stuff going on. I haven't been able to really sit down and get in the studio mm-hmm. a ton. I put a single out since I've been back home, and then last June I put out an EP. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like you know, I still got some 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 more records left in me that I'm gonna do, and I want I want these people that I'm collaborating with in other capacities to be involved with making it making it real. And you know, I want it to be, I want it to be super Memphis. Mm-hmm. But I want it to be super artful, the same way that like Kendrick was able to take, you know, the break down the G funk to his bare bones, and then mm-hmm. add jazz and add these mm-hmm. other influences to make it musical in a way that nobody had really thought of this this yeah. music in a way. I want to I want to get down to that gangster walk, and that you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying that you know really really get to it, really get to it because I do my homework, I study, and when I and even you know when I was a little boy, I was sitting by the radio. Listening, I, I felt like I was in in the plush and in the den, in the denim and diamonds. <laughs> I was there in the cactus jacks, <laughs> live and direct. in the martini room, <laughs> in the premiere, in the fine ice. Don't, yes. And I was practicing. You know, what I'm saying that's what you know. When I was on radio at Ole Miss, people were like, "Man, what is this man doing? He talking mm-hmm. over the records. He doing this and that." It's like, mm-hmm. nah, I, I I learned from the Lair and them. Oh, I don't know them like that, you know what I'm saying? But I was sitting in this crib like that's what I'm like. This is what I wanted to feel like, you know. I don't want it to feel like no Mississippi man up here, you know. Yeah. I, I don't want it to feel like a college boy up here. I want it to feel like what I got, what I was used to listening to. Mm-hmm. Who are mm. some of your favorite artists right now, as far as rap Freddie genre? Gibbs. Freddie Gibbs. That's why I've been bumping Freddie Gibbs. Really? Like, Freddie Gibbs and Mad Lib Bandana just dropped. Um. I listen to a whole lot of stuff. I listen. I, I really look back more than I'm in the present. But um, I got a weird ear. I listen to a lot of just a mm-hmm. lot of weird junk. Yeah. I mean, I got African rock records, and you know, like just. Yeah. Stuff. I mean, there's so much going on. That's why I said you are like literally an encyclopedia <laughs> because. I mean, just from the content that you put out on Twitter. I mean, it, it varies. Like it could mm. be like fun fact type shit like i didn't know that like <laughs> jared enlightened me just now I, and i feel the same about you you know and, and and so many other people you know and this and i don't say that just as lip service i mean like we all in this together and uh you know it, I, i'm relying on y'all to you know it might be a day where it's like man jb i don't quite know if that's how that went down you know what i'm saying like when i talk about you know like i said i was a little boy listening mm-hmm. to the radio so wow, that I, is amazing. So I, I, my mind on it, you know, first, especially with twenty years removed from the memory, you know, mm-hmm. I might it might have been bigger to me as a child, or you know, I might have been mm-hmm. connecting dots as a child that wasn't quite there. But you know, I remember being, you know, uh, getting in trouble for listening to Mister Don't Play at church camp. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but that it was important to me though. I know it was because you know, with you loving music, all type of music, I saw you at the kickback. You know, you can get with oh, the best of them. Oh, oh. You knew all the words to all the songs. <laughs> like, I picked you. That was that was such a big, like, you know what I'm saying? Superman, 
and uh, I guess it was Houston mm-hmm. and Devin and Sue. Like, I can't express enough, like, just how much I admire y'all, you included. Like, I just wish to to honor that legacy. And whenever I see Sue, I don't even know if Sue really know who I am. But when I see her, I always give her props because, like, you know, I just feel so honored to be a part of what Memphis is. Mm-hmm. And we have to cherish it. And if we don't give people <clears throat> flowers while they can enjoy them, then, you know, you know, mm-hmm. if you look online, guys like Tommy Wright the Third, Tommy Wright the Third, and Player G, mm-hmm. and Skinny Pimp, and Tom Ski Mask, and Gangsta Al- Black, Gangsta Black, Gangsta Pat, all these people. Mm-hmm. You look and see. First of all, you could have if if I would have known this, I would have been at Mr. Z's. I would have been at. Cats and pop music and turtles music and blockbuster music, wherever I could, getting mm-hmm. all them CDs and tapes and all that when I could, because you see this stuff pop up on Amazon and eBay and everywhere else, three hundred, four hundred dollars. We talking about cassette tapes. Folks probably don't even have the technology <laughs> to play them. And then you know you see counterfeit DJ Paul Volume Sixteen. And folks be like arguing about, nah, that ain't that ain't real. You dubbed it at the crib yourself, and it's like, I mean, I use that. I use that. Uh, that accent, but it don't be folk from Memphis arguing about it. It'd be folk in Japan and then uh, Scotland and, you know, Isn't all over. amazing? And so these people care more about our local legends than we do a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, folk, folk, you know, I remember when folk used to sell their CD, walk up to you, they still do it. But I remember specifically, you know, Free Soul, who signed with mm-hmm. Justin Timberlake. At some point, I don't know if he's still in that situation, but I remember this had to have been like oh one, maybe two thousand. He's he sold my pops a CD at Hickory Ridge, and you know now I, I still remember his name, and I, know I, and I got so, I got yeah. the demo, you know what I mean, and I and I and I, I remember it because he said something about like uh, sitting courtside at the period with watching the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies wasn't even here yet, so I knew he was flexing because they hadn't even started playing in Memphis yet. But mm-hmm. you know. I just remember that. So you never know who these people are that's selling you their CD. And then when they, we want to be like, oh, man, you bust me over the head for the five. Mm-hmm. Or, you know what I'm saying, I can't rock with that. But these people, you know, some of them, no matter how raw and dirty and nasty their music came out, once they left whatever studio they was, whatever trap they was, you know what I'm saying, doing whatever they were doing in as far as recording it, it might not have been a masterpiece at that moment, you know what I'm saying, on the level of, you know, they weren't they weren't they weren't on Def Jam or whatever doing their thing. Right. But it matters as much to somebody way on the other end of the world that they would spend more than a hundred dollars when we wouldn't give them five at the Hickory Ridge. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And just with, you know, Memphis music getting a big uh, you know, spotlight on them right now. You know. Yeah. So I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome. You have an old soul, though. <laughs> I didn't know it was that deep, JB. We we just scratching the surface, but you know, it's, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything like that. But I just, I'm, I'm passionate about it, and, and I don't want to say an old, tell. I won't say an old soul. It's an all soul because I, I got love for, for just supporting people and and, and just hearing their stories, and I appreciate being able to tell you mine. You know. Yes. So let's talk about. 
Mr. Dapper Dan. Let's okay. jump right into it. All right. Um, you know, he was interviewed on The Breakfast Club. Um, he is a fashion designer, old school, uh, from Harlem. Mm-hmm. And it's such a controversy around his interview today because he was really kind of talking about people um, that create these fashion houses. Why don't black people support black designers, right? Right. So, you know, Charlemagne the God was going back and forth with him. Um, and he basically said that you have to be on the inside to really mm. understand and build from within. Do you agree with that, with what he said? Yes. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I do. I agree with the way that he articulated I know that what you shared just now is just a paraphrase of, yeah. of more than an hour's worth of content. I, I didn't. I, I got a chance to listen to it because I was on a long drive today. I got a chance to listen to the whole thing. And I definitely felt Dap and everything mm-hmm. he was saying and how he was comparing it to Martin and Malcolm and their struggles uh, from switching from civil rights to human rights globally. And I think, you know, Dap's message, I didn't even really get to see a lot of the backlash uh, I just woke up and I saw he was trending. I said, "Why is he trending?" And I was like, "You know, the first Today. Thing, the first thing, yeah, first thing you think is oh, something he passed." You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I was like, oh, "Okay," but uh, I didn't see a ton of the backlash, and I didn't really have time to really just go deep into the Twitter talk. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to hear what he had to say, so I was I didn't really even grasp why people were upset. I couldn't first. understand why they were upset though. Was like I was like you know I, I was the first few tweets I saw weren't addressing exactly what I was saying. Like man, Dapper Dan crazy, Dapper Dan a whole fool, Dapper Dan a whole coon. I'm like okay, I can imagine this has something to do with Gucci because mm-hmm. I know people are still upset about the the blackface, the supposed blackface turtleneck. And Dap, I remember you know he's the first person you think of when you say okay you know a black person that's connected to the Gucci brand. And I remember originally when that happened, people wanted to ask his opinion of it. And I think he didn't really go deep into it. So I figured if he was on Breakfast Club, that came up. So I was like, let me just see, you know, what was said. So, I mean, I listened to it and I felt like Charlemagne's line of questioning wasn't fair. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it was way out of the gate, disrespectful or anything. I just felt like the way that the way that he set Dap up to answer certain questions, Charlemagne and the Breakfast Club audience was going to feel was going to get crossed with Dap. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, just just because I mean that was their that was Charlemagne's platform. Folk used to Charlemagne. Folk used to hearing Charlemagne talk. They're not used to listening to Dap and listening to Dap's ideas, ideas of people like Dap. And I think as someone who is a, a black man who works within a, uh, a corporate structure, uh, I mean, you know, I understand what it means to have to go into a business that is sustainable, learn, learn the trade, mm-hmm. and then take those resources, and then you're able to, you know, create something that's sustainable, uh, hopefully, you know, and... I I also look at what Dap does. He makes luxury goods. Right. And, That's know, a niche market. It's a, it's a niche, yeah, it's a niche market. And all Dap was saying is, I'm a capitalist, and I'm a black man, and I live in Harlem, and I ride the train, and I'm sitting outside of my brownstone every day. You know, I'm going to support my people. 
Mm-hmm. But what I sell isn't just for black people. It's for everybody. It's for people in Japan. It's for, so if it's a $6,000 jacket, I'm sorry if, if you know, only D-Boys could buy what I was selling in the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so it wasn't for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so I got on Twitter. and I, Well, actually, I had a long drive, and I was thinking about what am I going to say about this? I don't want to go into a long thing about this. What can <laughs> I say to just sum up the entirety of how I feel about this? Or even not even... To talk about how I feel, just to give some people something to think about and and let it be. Uh, I try to be sometimes enigmatic and just sometimes mm-hmm. we'll throw something out there in, in the world, and people can take it how they want to take it. And so I tweeted, if I had a few different things I wanted to tweet, but what I decided on was, if you applauded Kanye's interview with Forbes yesterday. And then trash Dan's interview. I saw your with, tweet with Breakfast Club today. You need to you need to retool your sensibilities. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't necessarily. I saw other. I saw people respond to it, and I saw some people that responded that I felt like thought I was saying both them folk crazy. <laughs> and I saw some people respond to it that it made me think. You know, they were like, "Yeah, Dan needs to fix something." And so I didn't necessarily say one either mm-hmm. way. Since we're in this long form format, I'm gonna tell you how I feel. I feel like, you know, Kanye's doing something similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is making a luxury item with Adidas. They're making a lot of them. They're making a lot of money. None of that stuff is something you can. It's not Vocal. It ain't Sean John. It ain't Carcanai. It ain't Cross Colors. Uh, it's expensive and it's. You know, I don't even really know where to go and just get some Yeezys and be sure that right. I Right, and it's his own shit, Yeezys. Right, and so it's like there's a lot of ways to think about black business, and I definitely am one who believes that there's an opportunity for blacks in America and blacks globally to do what, you know, when you see, when you drive out here and you see an Asian market, likely there's an Asian family who one branch of their family came to America and ended up in Memphis, and they probably sent back home like, hey, you know, such and such, you know, wasn't able necessarily to get the same certification that they, if they were already doing such and such, such, and such job in wherever they came from, they might not have been able to come here. You know, I'm not going to go back to the university and do this and do that, and you know, mm-hmm. get that, get get back in the same, uh, you know, in industry necessarily that I was in. And that's not everybody's story. I'm not trying to pigeonhole everybody, but you know, a lot of times you see people in restaurants and in, in stores of that nature, you know, they're able to say, go, you know, call their cousins and them back home and say, we're, we're creating a better life here in the U S you know, sell me some of the stuff that we can't get over here mm-hmm. and ship it over here. And I ship you some stuff from America over there. You know what I'm saying? I saw that when I was traveling internationally. You saw people that had these bags. It's like, man, how much stuff they taking over there? And it's like, nah, they taking Captain Crunch and all that stuff that, you know, they can't get over there. And when they come back, they're going to come back with stuff that they missed from where they came from. And that, you know, and so if you can distribute that stuff over here, you have an opportunity to fill a market that other families that can't get what they want from wherever they came from or they can't make the meals that they want. You know, I saw people eating eating Ethiopian food earlier. Like, there's, I've been to Ethiopia. There's spices and things like that that you can't get over here if you want to make that meal that you miss from Ethiopia. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But as black Americans, we don't have that opportunity because, you know, I know I'm black. I know you're black. But, you know, 
no matter even if you took a mitochondrial test or whatever, you know what I'm saying, they could tell me I'm from anywhere. Well, nobody <laughs> keeping them records, you know what I mean? And I don't have a connection to my community globally in that sense. I don't have cousins I can go visit and say, yeah, you know, this is our village that we came from. And my mama, if she would have stayed here, she would have been doing this. And it's like, we don't have that. We really don't. We don't. And so because of that, we don't have global dollars to to create, you know, there'll never be for black folks what a little Italy is in a, in a larger city mm-hmm. or a Chinatown in a larger city. Cause that we just don't have a, that connection to our heritage. Africa's a large continent, and I'm doing a lot of explaining. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not explaining it to you because I think you understand. I'm just I'm just setting up. You know what's on my mind, but you know, as as large as Africa is, you know, even within one country, you know, just like Memphis is different from Nashville and from Knoxville, or whatever, and, you know, folk from Raleigh ain't the same as folk from the Mound and whatever. Like, you know, that's what that is. It's, you yeah. know, people, some people use the word tribe. I don't really like that term, ethnic group or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just because there's a lot of folk in Memphis is like I'm Nigerian and she Nigerian, but you know, our we kind of have different cultures. You know what I mean? Like. I think that there are a lot of opportunities for us to buy black and to yeah. create or create some relationships with people in our industries. Just like I've met journalists in, in Ethiopia and I've, you know, forged relationships with them and we trade ideas and talk about like what it's like to have a free press over here and what it's like for them and their government over there in regards to things you publish and say mm-hmm. and build some understanding uh, within that industry. There's tons of opportunity for us to do that. And if there was, you know, we support our African soaps and African hair stores and all of that stuff and African goods and clothes and all mm-hmm. that. That's wonderful. But that's not what Dapper Dan is doing. And that's not like I had a had a right. convers- had a conversation with a friend of mine <clears throat> earlier who owns a marketing company and he was in a large corporate structure and he broke off and did his own thing. And he's he has some of the same clientele that came from the larger, more established predominantly white marketing agency. And he was like, I asked him, I said, I really want to talk to you about this Dapper Dan thing. He's like, what was it? So I explained it to him. He was like, man, people come to me all the time saying like, why don't you just help black people get their businesses off the ground? It's like, no, <laughs> I'm going to go with the, I mean, not just exclusively, but right. I'm, I'm going to accept like, the people like, why am, why am I accepting white dollars? It's like, no, I got to get that because you should right. want that for me. You know what I mean? You should yeah. want for me to be able, if you, you know, Dapper Dan said in an interview, if I open a grocery store tomorrow, you think I just want black people to buy my groceries? I want everybody to buy it. Exactly. And I want that for Sage and I want that for the weekend and I want that mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, tons of black businesses in this city. You know, I, uh, you know, I, it pains me to see a black restaurant open up in a neighborhood and only black people eat there. And then you see sometimes people of other ethnicities walk in or walk up to the door and they look and they see only black people in there and they go, I'm going to keep on walking. I don't know if this is place for me. You know, I saw that in Mobile and I see it here and I don't. So you do see that a lot here? I have seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. And I think, you know, if the music in there bumping and, you know, the food is good, they're going to hear about it, but are they going to be comfortable to walk in and, and feel like it's a place where they can be welcome and, you know, that, you know, nothing going to pop out or whatever. I'm not saying that that's how I feel about our business. I'm saying that's the perception that some, some of us have, a lot of us have about our own businesses. We don't, we, you know, when people say, Hey, let me say you this. If I'm like, is it hot? You know what I mean? Like we, <laughs> we talk, we cut ourselves down before other people can. And so I want 
for us to to recycle our dollars and for other people to come in and buy our stuff too. So if Dapper Dan wants to sell a $6,000 jacket within Gucci's framework, yeah, I understand what he's saying when he says, you know, the reason that, I mean, I remember when you were walking to dealers and you would see Outkast clothing. Mm-hmm. You would see Snoop Dogg uh, brand. You would see, like I mentioned earlier, Vocal. And, you know, we had a lot of that stuff at mm-hmm. one point in time at Greg's and Marty's and Sammy's Man of Fashion and all that stuff that we don't have. <laughs> we had Sammy's and Sammy's used to be right across the street. Oh, uh, yeah. We, I, we, I mean, I know what it's called now, but I'm not going to blow up y'all geography. You know what I'm saying? We, as, as far as anybody else concerned, we, we could be recording this from outer space. You know what I'm saying? True. But, you know, Greg's, Marty's, Sammy's Man of Fashion, wherever, you know, we used to be able to get fresh in there and buy whatever. And now we still have, you know, a coup and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, but it's not sustainable necessarily always, you know. And another good point that that made was how y'all judge me, but y'all don't ever say nothing. All these years that people have been signing distribution deals mm-hmm. to whoever in in, in music and hip hop, y'all y'all hadn't. It's the same thing. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. You have to think long term and bigger picture. And if he owns his intellectual property and if he wants to maybe start uh, something, another brand that's cheaper with some of the same sensibilities. And, he could do you know, that. He could, he could do that with the knowledge he got from the establishment. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. He's Again, he's selling a luxury good. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if you if you can't afford Gucci Louis Prada, you know, keep your little dollars. Right, don't buy it. Yeah, go to beauty <laughs> beauty supply store, get you them jelly sandals. You know what okay, I'm saying? Okay, get, get what you can sandals. afford. Get what you can afford and get what you like. <laughs> Absolutely. But Absolutely. um, it's definitely interesting that um, and I'm not surprised though. Kanye West is not too far from that billionaire mark. Really, I did catch that about the Forbes magazine. Everybody thought he was already in that billionaire status, but not quite yet. Right. But um, he's not far away. Look what he's done with his own personal life. He's attached his his personal brand to the Kardashian brand. It's, it's similar. A yeah. similar. It's like a venture. You know what I mean? Yes. So, you know, I didn't read the Forbes uh, uh, interview because, honestly, I, as much as I really enjoy Kanye, I'm big on Nike, Nike, Nike. Mm-hmm. Again, speaking of speaking of large corporations and branded dollars, but Nike shows Memphis so much love, mm-hmm. and Nike just the heritage of like I'm wearing the Cortez today. I wear Cortez is a lot. Mm-hmm. The stories behind the sneakers, the moments, you know what I mean. Like this for me is not people, you know, it's not it's not just a sneaker. Like it's it reminds me of you know Compton, and it reminds me of you know folks that's in the pen, and it reminds me of you know it's like I had a I had a woman ask me one time, she's like, yeah, but that's not you, and it's like. One, you don't know me. But two, <laughs> I connect with those people for certain reasons. Just like somebody might connect with, you know, you wear Jordans. People, you know, the Jordans that are high are the Jordans that he wore when he was playing. Because the, the moments, day. you remember one shot that he shot over yeah. Craig Elo in, in whatever finals game, whatever. You remember this and that. So you remember what which shoe he wore in Space Jam. So those be the shoes that sell out the quickest because they connected to moments mm-hmm. and movements and culture. And so, you know, <clears throat> that's 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 a big part of 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 why we connect with these things and Dapper Dan is is again a, another example of you know for me the connect con- the connection to like you know when I was a young cat and Nelly you know had the Air Force Ones and they yes. were talking about you know I, I was what was that joint used to be called and it, it, it was I think it was in Hickory Ridge it was called the Remix or something the like remix. that the remix 
what they was doing was what Dapper Dan did. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you would see the music videos and like, man, how bro get a Gucci headband, jersey, this and that. Like that, <laughs> that Gucci wasn't making that stuff at that point in time. They making it now because they, yeah. they, they, they. You know, we co opted it. You know, there wasn't really even male Gucci clothing at the time that Dap did what he did. But he That's took that fabric said. and made it hood and made mm-hmm. it real, made it relevant. And so. You know what I'm saying? That was back in my day. I was like, man, uh, you know, you saw everybody was talking about, you know, Beyonce and the 03 Bunny and Clyde with the Burberry swimsuit. Like, mm-hmm. all that stuff, it wasn't knockoff, but it was like, you know, they took the fabrics and then they did some different things with it. And I guess Tina Lawson cut it up and did it. You know what I'm saying? Tina so was doing a thing. Our creativity has been taking yes. just, just, you know, they came up with this this monogram. And we took it to another level. And now they coming back. And Dap said, you know, everybody's paying homage to Dap. Ain't nobody paying Dap. So get that man. Let that man get his money. You get know what I mean? Man, pay, man. And he can pass that wisdom <laughs> on to the next person. And we'll see mm-hmm. a black luxury brand exist because, you know. I'm he, looking forward to he it. First, he, he, did, he laid the groundwork. You know? I'm looking forward to it. Now let's pivot for a minute. Um. <clears throat> I know you've seen this across your timeline um, about the recent announcement of Halle Bailey as Ariel yeah. in, in the Disney remake, right? Yeah. So we got all these Disney remakes going on. Um, a lot of these shows, uh, not only like, I guess, the cartoon anymore, they're the real life type. Yeah, live action. Yeah, yeah, live action. So why do you think it was so much backlash about Miss Halle being Ariel now. We know she black and mm-hmm. Ariel was what? She's from the Caribbean, wasn't she? she was, she, supposed, was she from the Caribbean? Caribbean. Where, was, where was Ariel really from? I feel like she was from the Caribbean. <laughs> I don't know which one, you know. They got white people over there too, but there's a lot of black folk over there. But you them know. folks started a whole petition. You know, see, now I'm finna say something else controversial. <laughs> Um, first of all, congratulations to her. She's extremely talented. I love her and her sister. Yeah, yeah they're fantastic. Uh, however, I am sort of starting to feel like maybe we going, first of all, let's, let's say this first. We rebooting and rebringing and remixing too much. We need some new, too inter- much. new intellectual properties. We need some new intellectual properties. We need to give uh, people opportunities to connect with new ideas and new characters and 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 that's that's across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we're gonna say that we, let's table that for one. Okay. Second of all, grown folk need to stop worrying about <laughs> the new version or whatever it was they enjoyed when they were children. You Let know it what go. Mean? It ain't for you, man. It's yeah. it's for the children this time. Take your kids and just shut up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> My parents wasn't. Wasn't all uh, bent out of shape about Barney and them, and I was watching all Barney that. Barney and them, yeah, all all that, and uh, and 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 all of what I had going on when I was a child. And they rebooted some stuff, you know. They had a new miracle on Thirty Fourth Street when I was a child, and they, you know, they redid some things, you know. But my folk was like, okay, that's for Jared. You give him the VHS tape and <laughs> let him sit down and watch it. You know, they wasn't bent out of shape about it. They might say, hey, let me show you the old one. It's black and white. I was cool on that. I didn't need it. I like, like what I had. Yeah. But they wasn't been out of shape. But, you know, we have this this culture now where everybody want to air off and sound off on mm-hmm. Twitter about what they feel. Man, nobody care about what you feel, man. Mm-hmm. These folks going to do what they going to do. <laughs> That's another point. 
And my last point on on Miss Ariel mm-hmm. is I feel like I I do understand at a certain point, you know, people saying, you know, okay, I, I've connected with this character one way. Just taking her and making her black, just for the sake of making her black, it just seems kind of, it's, it's a tired idea. I feel like it's becoming a tired idea. Mm-hmm. For the same reason, not because not because of her blackness, but for the same reason of let's just stop rebooting stuff. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You know, we don't just need a black Batman. You know what I mean? Just because. <laughs> yeah. Because they know that the reaction they're going to get is going to be the same thing over and over. You know what I mean? Let's, you know, if if they would have gave her a new mermaid character, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. You know what right. I mean? Why we got to call it the Little Mermaid? You know what I'm saying? I know people gonna think of the Little Mermaid when they think of mermaids. That's our that's our most uh, in our in our pop cultural uh, consciousness. The Little Mermaid is our mermaid. But you remember mm-hmm. they made Aquamarine. There was one yeah. mermaid movie that came out. There's other mermaid media out there. Yeah. And I think got to be a mermaid. But I, I mean, I'm sort of being facetious, but I'm being honest. Yeah. Give Halle a new Disney character. Yeah. That connects with young people. All women of all colors, and and why you at it? <laughs> a a gay one, a Hispanic one, or whatever else represent all a these myriad. people. Yeah, represent all of these people with their new intellectual properties that are relevant to them. Mm-hmm. And you know, let's just kill this conversation. And if you know, if y'all gonna reboot some stuff, then fine. Let's stop getting bit out of shape about the reboot. But also, let's you know, let's let's give something new a try. I used to love the original. Um, Ariel. See, you saying her name like she black. Cause she was Ari- I mean, I she was Ariel in the movie. You said say it like she went to Craig Month. <laughs> Ariel. 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 I'm the crab. What's the crab name? Uh, <laughs> I used to love. I used to. I used to have that movie on DVD when first when DVDs first came out. Mm, you know who was my gal? Oh, Pocahontas. You like Pocahontas? Pocahontas was bad, was she? <laughs> She is alright. What about Mulan? You know I they reboot that. that. I remember seeing that in the theater. I do vividly remember seeing Mulan in the theater. They reboot Mulan. Now I know that I know that Pocahontas was teenager. I'm not talking about bad like like you know what I'm saying like a junt. Oh, that's what I thought you meant. Bad no, like I just a meant, junt. You know just how she how she was. You know she could paint with all the colors of the she wind. She was cold. Yeah, she could paint with all the colors of the wind. She could talk to the trees. She 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 had you know she made friends with the white folk when they came on the boat they was, was drinking and doing like, there was a lot of stuff going on in that movie you know what I'm saying no, I didn't mean bad like I'm trying to go with I just mean you know <laughs> we can have strong teenage a, wi- a strong teenage women characters I can root for them too I see you rooting for them yeah. I see you rooting for them Jared okay now it's time for the verbally effective minute where I'm going to ask you a few Spitfire questions I was getting myself ready for this one now. I, I need like, you <laughs> getting ready like the spelling bee. I need you to respond very quickly and tell me why. All right. Okay. All right. Verbally effective minute with Jarrett J.B. Boyd. Would you prefer being a DJ, disc jockey, or a radio personality? I like radio personality. Tell me why. Um, I'm a dude. I'm a dude to DJ but I feel like I, I feel like I'm a media personality. Like I, I mean, I feel like a reporter and a media personality is different. Um, I I have the chops to really, really do the reporting. Mm-hmm. But the personality part, I think, uh, sort of encompasses the the element of humor and uh, 
uh, element of really just having a good mouth game. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? That was the one thing I put. I think that put Memphis DJs in another class. You know, a lot of places you go, folks just spinning records like, man, when he gonna say something? But I remember, and they be dry as hell. Yeah, I'm like, I remember when folks used to say, you know what I'm saying? If you made ten, if you made, if you got paid today, man, make some noise, man. If mm-hmm. your stuff smell good, make some noise. And I'd mm-hmm. be like, man, fucking here making noise, <laughs> man. I want some of that stuff she got. <laughs> Okay. You know what I'm saying? So that's a that's that personality. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, you 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 can spin records, but you got a little Jackie Brown to you too, mm-hmm. a little blowfly, a little you know, you little time time. Okay, yeah. okay, I got you. Okay, as far as your content creation is concerned, would you prefer covering food or covering music? Music for sure. I, honestly, I'm over the food. Out of it. Over the food, food is cool. You know, I don't want to. Talk. I'm in the habit of taking pictures of what I eat because of of my past of covering food, but music. Okay, okay, okay. So well, that's music. Dry. I've been talking. <laughs> I should have got you some water, JB. I'm sorry. sorry. I'm gonna get you some when we close out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Regarding your storytelling abilities, do you prefer to communicate this via print journalism or social media? Print. Print. Are you old school? He's old school. You can, <coughs> excuse me. Online. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I might not be a, a radio personality for real. <clears throat> excuse me. It's oh, okay. Get, go get it out. <coughs> Ooh. All right. I'm an online journalist, I can go forever. But TV, you know, you got a program. Radio, you got a program. The internet ain't going to never run out. Mm-mm. So I can keep writing till I'm blue in the face like I'm about to be. <laughs> <laughs> you all right, JB? I'm good. I'm okay. all right. It's going to come back. Okay. Okay. Well, I have really enjoyed you on the Verbally Effective Podcast. Can you don't you... have to cut it short now just because I got a little no, choked no. up now. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I right. have another question in me. Okay. My question is, though, um... You know, could you communicate to the verbally effective audience what are your next steps in your career? Any exclusive information you would like to drop as a multimedia journalist? Uh, I think programming is what I'm I'm most interested in doing moving forward. Tuesday's a part of that. Tuesday. To see that buzzword, Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah. We're going to open Tuesday up and really just empower all of Memphis, but certainly black Memphis um, and young black Memphis and activate some parts of the city where people ain't necessarily used to going. You know what I'm saying? You know, you might mess around and hear some music come out of barbershop. Mm-hmm. Or, you know what I'm saying, you might mess around and have a nice dinner on the lawn in Frazier. You know what I'm saying? You know, just we're going we gonna to start turning up some places where you won't necessarily expect to see people really giving their time and attention and care and thinking us out of the box because I want people to start looking all over this city and looking for potential, not just downtown and midtown, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Cause I'm from out this, well, we in outer space right now, but I'm from Parkway <laughs> village, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I'm not, it's, it's not in my nature to just stay on one side of the city. You know, I, I move around and uh, hopefully, you know, on air, some, doing some on air, not on, not just on air, on camera stuff, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on some documentary style, uh, see if it end up on TV or online or Facebook or what. 
And then, you know, you you going to help me get my gear up. I'm going to start back DJing. Okay. And then, you know, I'm trying to put the music out there. I want to do something you know, sort of like a, like a, I mentioned him already one time, but Tila, because mm-hmm. he was just fly. And he did it with Suave House. He did it with Rap A Lot. Girls in the club showing yeah. love. And, you know, he, 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 he got a nicer looking body than me. Dude. But when I start to when I get the pumping, I'm gonna get the pumping, <laughs> and I'm gonna be able to wear the suits like my boy. And every once in a while, he take his shirt off. You know what I'm saying? Mm. You know, I'm trying to get right so I can. You know, I'm, I want to bring that player intellectual because he was really spitting. But you know, he he held his own. You know, with like mm-hmm. sex faces with with with, uh, with Scarface and Too Short. He did and that. You know, he from the city, so you know, I want to I want to want to do that soon. And uh, you know. We gon' we just gonna keep collaborating and growing and and building and you know who knows what next Memphis has for me because mm-hmm. it's probably something that an opportunity that I'm not even understanding and also uh, the history of hip hop in Memphis I'm gonna do a podcast um, mm-hmm. on that uh, oral history uh, so that'll be coming and uh, okay. hopefully a book after that and we just gonna keep keep applying pressure. Yes, how yeah. can everybody get in touch with you, JB? Uh, Jared J B Boyd on everything. That's J A R E D J A Y B B O Y D. So the the J B is spelled out. Uh, I thought that was like different and unique and weird. But you know who also spells J B like who? that? The villain from Crush Groove. Uh-uh, so the, you know we you. keep it hip hop. You know you keeping it. I didn't even know that. Daddy till I watched going it. in them crates. Hey. So there it is, Jared J B Boyd dot com twitter is jared jb boyd instagram is jared jb boyd and you know it's wherever and uh we'll see what's next okay well i i see nothing but greatness for you jb and i really appreciate you for coming to the podcast today thank you for making me feel special and having me as your guest and putting me in there on this this, this, this is so many people that are Definitely, definitely episode 78 is the book.